right now. Stay in Genesis 3.15 because we're going to park there here in a little bit. Uh, but first allow me to introduce the passage and why I'm talking about in this new sermon series. You know, we're heading into Christmas and I just want to introduce Christmas a little bit early this year. Uh, any of you like Christmas lights? Yes. Almost all of us probably like Christmas lights. I don't run at night as much anymore, but when I did, and still when I do, I like it around Christmas time because you can jog around and look at the Christmas lights and the beautiful decorations. I find it just quite um, enjoyable looking at Christmas lights. You know, I just wonder as we talk about this, what are your Christmas decorations like? Do, uh, do you enjoy Christmas decorating? Now, let me say, I don't really enjoy Christmas decorating. I just like to look at nice Christmas decorating and like especially Christmas lights. When I was a child, we were not allowed to uh, listen to Christmas music or watch Christmas movies or television shows until after Thanksgiving. Any of you have that role? Maybe some of you have or were raised with that role. It seems like it's not as, as common anymore. My dad was kind of a stickler with that. And not until after Thanksgiving could we watch Christmas movies, uh, listen to Christmas music, uh, decorate. We didn't set up anything until after Christmas. And then the weekend after Christmas, um, after Thanksgiving, thank you, after Thanksgiving. And then the weekend after Thanksgiving, that's when we started the Christmas decorating. And we did a lot of it that weekend and then some later on. Usually, the weekend after Thanksgiving, my family, when I was a kid, we would also watch the Red Ryder BB gun movie. Any of you seen that? The Red Ryder BB gun movie. You know, I know it's, it's actually called a Christmas story, even though sadly it's not really about Christmas at all. It's not about Christ at all. But it's a nice, funny American story. But with Christmas season, I always looked forward to, growing up, I always looked forward to Christmas in every way. I always looked forward to the lights, Christmas lights. I always looked forward to snow. Any of you like snow? A few people. Chris does. I know Chris does. I always looked forward to days off school. We always liked that. I always looked forward to Christmas lights. I already said that. I'll say that again. I always looked forward to Santa Claus. That was a big deal when I was a kid. I always looked forward to trains. Any of you like trains? And I don't know how trains got associated with Christmas, but they were in my family. I always looked forward to family get-together, family get-togethers. And did I say Christmas lights? I always looked forward to Christmas lights. When I was a child, I remember setting up Christmas lights with my dad. I think it was every year from the time I was in first grade up until sixth or seventh grade, we would set up Christmas lights the weekend after Thanksgiving. Now I'm talking about outside Christmas lights, outside Christmas lights. It seems like every day, every year, I said that wrong. It seems that every uh, year, the day after Thanksgiving, we would clean up from the family get-together, which we would host at, at, at our house, and then we would maybe set up some indoor Christmas decorations. We could not set up the Christmas tree at that time. That would be later on. But we would set up the nativity scene on the mantle. We would string Christmas lights alongside the mantle as well. We would set up various other Christmas decorations around the house. I think I love the colors of Christmas, but I really love the colors on the lights. Seems that usually the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we would hang Christmas lights all over the exterior of the house. We had a two-story, but we would get out the big Christmas lights. Remember the ones with the big bulbs that blow fuses really bad? I think they make them LED now, but not then. 
We would take them down out of our garage attic and we would plug them in and pray that they would work. And usually a few of the strands would not work. And my dad's pretty good at fixing things. He usually had a way of making things, making those Christmas lights work. But oftentimes we had to have a few trips to the hardware store to make them work. And we'd get out the extension ladder and we would hold the ladder. I was just, you know, second, third grade. We would hold the ladder as my dad, who's afraid of heights, would climb to the top and put those Christmas lights all along the top of the house. It was great fun for us. I don't know about for my dad. But for us, it was a lot of fun after we got all those Christmas lights set up. And then in the coming weeks, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we enjoyed driving around on our way home from Cub Scouts. That was usually our weekly activity, going to Cub Scouts. And on the way home, we would drive around and look at Christmas lights until we got to our house. You know, once we set up the Christmas tree, we put tons of lights on the Christmas tree as well. We put lots of lights on the Christmas tree. We had these snowflake lights. They were really neat. We had bubble lights. I like bubble lights to this day. They're very expensive, but I really like the bubble lights. We had an old Lionel train that goes back to the 1930s. It was my dad's grandfather's. We set that up under the Christmas tree. And then in the coming weeks, in between the time we set up the tree and when we um, actually had Christmas... I would like to go, in, go out into our living room at night, in the evening, with no lights on in the evening except for the Christmas tree, and watch the train go around under the tree. Because the train had a light on the front, and the train also had cars that lit up. It was just lovely. It was just wonderful. I loved it. Now, why do I talk all about Christmas and Christmas lights? Because I want to tell you that as soon as man sinned, God prophesied away. And he prophesied the way is Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And you know that Jesus actually even calls us the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus calls us the light of the world. And Jesus tells us to make our light shine to all people. You know, as we look through the New Testament, we, we see that uh, Jesus is the light of the world. And as people engaged Jesus... They had enlightening experiences. And even today, as we engage Jesus, we engage and have a relationship with the light of the world. So today, I want to talk to you about Genesis 3.15. As soon as man sinned, God prophesied away. But first, you may be wondering, why am I talking about this? Well, I want to begin a short sermon series talking about biblical prophecy. And I'm not talking about prophecy as far as revelation is concerned. I'm talking about prophecy for Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies of Jesus, and they are all fulfilled in Jesus as the Messiah. And that's really what this sermon series is about. I hope that it encourages your faith to see how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament in all these marvelous, awesome ways. Over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, fulfilled in him in the New Testament. You know, Jesus could not plan out his life to fulfill all these prophecies. It's amazing, and it's prophetic, and it's a God thing, and that they were all fulfilled in Jesus. There's prophecies in the Old Testament, such as not a bone of Jesus would be broken. Jesus couldn't control that. You know that at the crucifixion, they went to make sure that all the, all the, 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 the three men, Jesus and the two others, crucified next to him. When they made sure they were dead, they were going to break the legs. But they noticed that Jesus was already dead, so they did not break his legs. 
Not a bone would be broken. There's prophecies in the Old Testament that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus could not control his birth. I don't know if you ever have doubts in your Christian life. But I want to tell you, if you do, don't be too hard on yourself. Instead, engage those doubts. Talk to God about them. Do research, and your faith will come out stronger. The only time doubt is a bad thing is when you let that doubt sit and simmer, and you don't try to strengthen your faith through that. When I was in um, high school, I was in a discipleship class, and as part of that discipleship class, we had to do inductive Bible study. We had to study the Bible. We had to take one chapter a week and spend an hour in that chapter. And as part of that, we had to do cross-reference. So I was going chapter by chapter through Revelation. As I studied Revelation, my faith was so much strengthened because I was looking at the cross-references. And as you look at the cross-reference in your Bible, I was seeing how Zechariah has prophecies of Jesus that are fulfilled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's things that Jesus talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are talked about in Revelation. There's things that in Isaiah and in Daniel that are fulfilled in Jesus, but then again in Revelation. The Bible is all weaved together like a spider web. It's a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative. That means it's one grand story with a bunch of smaller stories. All these small stories in the Bible point to Jesus. Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, the Messiah. And as you look at all those cross-references, I hope it encourages your faith. It did me. And as we go through and we look at these prophecies of Jesus fulfilled in him in the Messiah, as the Messiah, I hope that is encouraging to your faith as well. Realize that the Bible was written by 39 or 40 different authors. Now, it's, the Bible is inspired by God, so God is the ultimate author, inspiring 39 or 40 different people to write the Holy Scriptures. And, and the Bible was written over a 2,000-year period, probably more like 1,400, though Job was written much before, probably around 2,000 when you include Job. And all of these Scriptures link together. That's amazing. People have ran the probability. The probability of all these scriptures coming together is impossible, except by God inspiring these authors to write them and inspiring these prophecies of Jesus. So as soon as man sinned, God prophesied away. God prophesied about Jesus, the light of the world. So here are some applications. Have we trusted in the light of the world? As we look at this scripture passage here in just a minute, have you trusted in Jesus, the Savior, the light of the world? Second application, are we encouraged that the whole Bible talks of God sending Jesus the Savior? The whole Bible talks about God sending the light. Sending the light. Notice, God provides the light. Salvation is from God. Salvation is not from humans. Salvation is from God. Salvation is not from man or woman. Salvation is from God. It's only from man in that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our place. Can we rejoice in our salvation? In Psalm 51, 12, the psalmist, which is David, says that he rejoices in the joy of his salvation. Do we have joy in God's salvation? So let's look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3.15. Morgan already read it fabulously, but I want to read it one more time so that it's fresh on our mind. Genesis 3.15, God is speaking here. God is a speaker here in Genesis 3.15, and God says this. God says, and I, that would be God, and I will put enmity. Enmity would be strife. 
a barrier between you and the woman. God is talking to the serpent, which is actually Satan. And God is telling, this, telling the devil, God is telling Satan, I will put enmity, I will put strife between you and Eve. Between you and Eve. And God says, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God is telling the devil, he's going to put as a consequence for the devil tempting Eve, he's going to put enmity between the devil and between Eve, and between the devil's seed and Eve's seed, which is ultimately Jesus, ultimately Christ. God says that he, which is Jesus, will bruise the devil on the head. That is a fatal blow, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Take note, this passage is written right after the first recorded sin. This is right after the first recorded sin. I don't know how many years before Christ came to earth this was written, but I would think around 4,000 years. Around 4,000 years before Jesus came, uh, born of a virgin, lived and died and was resurrected, this was written. And this is written just days or so. I put in my notes days, weeks, or months. I think more like days into creation. Adam and Eve had the reign of the Garden of Eden. Adam Adam and Eve had the reign of the Garden of Eden. Then the devil possesses a serpent, a snake, and came and tempted them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, I don't know if Satan, <clears throat> Satan taking and possessing a serpent was an angel of light. I would never think of snakes as an angel of light. But uh, maybe they were friendly with them and they're in the Garden of Eden. But right here we see Satan coming, coming and talking to Eve and then Adam in a friendly little way, so to speak. By the way, I want to say that there is spiritual warfare, and we see that in this passage. We see that there really is spiritual warfare. And many times in our 21st century American way of life, we deny spiritual warfare. And I I would encourage you, and I would warn you, do not deny spiritual warfare. It is real. We see it right here. The serpent is being possessed by Satan, by Lucifer, and tempting Adam and Eve. The devil comes, all innocent. And disguises himself as a snake. Next thing we know, they are disobeying God. They are living in a perfect, awesome relationship with God the Father. Walking with God the Father in the Garden of Eden. Until this happened. Now in verse 15, God is giving them the punishment. God is giving the punishment for Satan and the punishment for Adam and Eve. In the middle of this punishment is a prophecy. In the middle of this punishment, there's a prophecy right there in the beginning of time. As soon as as Adam and Eve sinned, God is prophesying away. That is just awesome. God says there will be enmity. This means that there will be a barrier between the devil and Eve and her offspring and the devil's. You know, it'd be easy to think that this is simply talking about a fear between man and snake. But historically, that is not how it was interpreted. Some people who would probably be more liberal Bible scholars or secular people think this is just talking about the fear between humans and snakes. At least any wise human being has has a fear of snakes, right? I mean, you all have a healthy fear of snakes, right? I knew somebody who had a pet rattlesnake. I thought, something's wrong with you. Anyways, um, 
That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about God is talking to the devil here and talking about the devil and the devil's seed and Eve and her seed. Martin Luther, the reformer, commented on the nature of the woman's seed. This is what Martin Luther said. He says this means all individuals in general, and yet he is speaking of only one individual, of the seed of Mary, who is a mother without union with a male. Uh, he's talking about all individuals in general, but only one individual is in mind especially, Jesus. One writes the following, The offspring of the woman was Cain, then all humanity at large, and then Christ, and those collectively in him. The offspring of the serpent includes demons, and anyone serving the devil's kingdom of darkness, those whose father is the devil. See John chapter 8, verse 44. Satan would cripple mankind. It says that, it says that Satan, will, uh, Satan will strike his heel. Satan will cripple mankind. But the seed, being Christ, would deliver the fatal blow. Christ delivers the fatal blow. And right here, Genesis 3.15, the very beginning of time, God prophesies the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior. Another person writes the following. The serpent's poison is lodged in his head, and a bruise on that part is fatal. Thus, fatal shall be the stroke which Satan shall receive from Christ. Though it is probable he did not at first understand the nature and extent of his doom. Actually, I believe all through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Satan did not realize the extent of his doom. Satan thought he had conquered Jesus when he was crucified, but he did not know. But that's ultimately the way for our salvation. Here we have the common case where an individual represents many. Even her adversary are the progenitors of a lifelong struggle that will persist until a climactic moment when the woman's offspring will achieve the upper hand. The woman's offspring being Mary and her offspring Jesus achieve the upper hand. Now think about this verse in our application. Notice that salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. And that begins right here in Genesis 3.15. The Lord is prophesying that he will send the Savior. The Lord is prophesying that he will send away. Here we are in the beginning of time. Here we are and man and woman have just sinned. They have broken God's perfect standard. But God is saying, I'm going to bring you back. God is saying there is punishment. But I will send the light right here in the very beginning. The Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. You realize that? We love God because he first loved us. Salvation comes from the Lord. The Bible says that God wants all to come to salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9. You realize that? God wants everyone to come to salvation. God does not want anyone to suffer in hell. All throughout the Old Testament, God reminds them of the light that will come. God reminds them of the light of the world. God continues to talk about the birth of Jesus. Here's another passage, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We're going to talk about this more in a few weeks, but let me just read it. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is a prophecy some 700 years before Christ. Another one fulfilled in Christ the Messiah. And we'll talk more about that one in a few weeks. We see the fulfillment of these prophecies in the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew 1, 23. Joseph is having a dream, and this is what the angel says. The virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy way back in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. One more Bible passage which shows a more direct fulfillment is Galatians 4.4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You realize that? Born of a woman, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, crush the devil's head. Born under the law. As soon as man sinned, God prophesied away. So, back to those applications. Have we trusted in the light of the world? Have we trusted in Jesus, the Savior of the world, as our Lord and as our Savior? Are we encouraged that the whole Bible talks about God sending the Savior? Over the next several weeks in the sermons, I'm going to show the connections between the Old and the New Testament, and I hope it encourages your faith. The whole Bible is focusing on Jesus and God sending a Savior. We see the beginnings right here in Genesis 3.15. Notice also that God provides salvation. Can we rejoice in our salvation? Can we have joy in our salvation? I want to look at an illustration here. You know, I opened the sermon talking about Christmas lights and making the connection between Christmas lights and God sending the light of the world. On March 9, 1979, nine satellites stationed at various points in the solar system simultaneously recorded a bizarre event deep in space. It was, in fact, the most powerful burst of energy ever recorded. Astronomers who studied the readings were in awe. The burst of gamma radiation lasted for only one-tenth of a second. But in that instant, it emitted as much energy as a sun does in 3,000 years. If the gamma ray burst had occurred in the Milky Way galaxy, said one astrophysicist, it would have set our entire atmosphere aglow. If the sun had suddenly emitted the same amount of energy, our earth would have vaporized instantly. Think about the amount of power at God's disposal. God, the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. As part of his power, he chose to send us a savior. As soon as we sinned, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God prophesied away through Jesus, the light of the world. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. I thank you that you came here to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. You came for that purpose, Lord. Jesus, you did not come for the purpose of self and, and having your own pleasures met. In fact, you withheld your pleasures. You sacrificed your pleasures to live a self-sacrificing, selfless life, dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Lord God, I thank you for the encouragement I have always found in the Old Testament and how the Old Testament connects so much with the New Testament. I thank you for the encouragement I've always found in the cross-referencing of Scripture. How we see all these prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. And even some being fulfilled today as well. And certainly many others in the future. Lord God, I pray that you encourage my faith and all of our faith. As we focus on these prophecies of Jesus. Fulfilled in Jesus, your life, death, and resurrection. If anyone here does not know you as Lord and Savior. I would ask that today will be the day of salvation. That today will be the day of confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior. Believing in you, Jesus, as the only Savior.
committing to you and trusting in you. May today be the day, and Lord, may this be true of all of us. May today be the day that we firmly make the decision to be with you, Lord, in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say, and then arrange our affairs around you. May we always make you Lord of our life, following you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite Steve up for the closing hymn. If the Holy Spirit has stirred your heart and you want to come forward for prayer during this hymn, the altars are always open. Come forward and you're welcome to pray at the altars. Amen. It's uh, hymn number 190.